Hey there, green future growers. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android app. And let's get growing. Why did we create the Organic Oasis Guidebook? And why are we creating the Organic Oasis Masterclass with the amazing Patty Armbruster? When you get membership to her fan club and a weekly Q&A, not a weekly, a monthly Q&A with her. So it's because we want to help you live in the most earth-friendly, healthiest environment you can. So it's good for you. It's good for Mother Earth. Whether you grow vegetables or not, we will help you. You know, gardening can be a lot of work, but it can also, you can live in a beautiful landscape and that will help your neighborhood or local farmer or gardener, you know, their farm produce more food because you're inviting bees into your neighborhood with a pollinator border that's so pretty and you can pick bouquets of flowers or you can just enjoy them and just it's a beautiful place by your home whether you want to grow food or vegetables that's why we call it the organic oasis and we've been build, working on building our organic oasis for well mike and i've been married 27 years so we have been working on it very 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 slowly so we know how it goes and we've struggled with water we've and then i've interviewed over 300 people on the organic gardener podcast so I just know that um, I have gone from brown thumb to green thumb. So, you know, whatever your idea of an organic oasis is, whether you want a bee sanctuary or um, an earth-friendly landscape or you want to grow more vegetables, um, I've got the experts, Mike and Patty and all the guests that I've talked to to help you succeed and be able to eat healthy food and feed your kids healthy food and you know, um, just have access, you know, uh, fruits are some of the coolest things to grow. A raspberry patch keeps producing. You can get luscious blueberries and those are the kind of things that maybe need a little watering, a little bit. They're very low maintenance. One of my amazing guests was Tara who wrote the book on growing fruit trees in the Pacific Northwest. And she talks about it because she wanted low maintenance because she was gardening at her mom's house. So all sorts of great tips for you on how to create your own earth-friendly organic oasis. Now let's get growing. Bonjour and welcome to episode 170 of the Organic Gardener podcast today. And I am just thrilled to introduce my guest because not only um, are you going to love listening to him, but we are about to break 250,000 downloads of the Organic Gardener podcast. Yes, thanks to all of you amazing green future growers listening out there. That's one quarter of a million downloads. Very likely, just as we are speaking this morning, it's January 12, 2017. And way back in episode 45 of the Organic Gardener podcast, Joyce Pinson recommended the award-winning book, The Market Farmer, Farmer, The Market Farmer by um, Jean-Martin Fortier, who is revolutionizing the way we think about agriculture, small-scale farming, and most of all, how we care for our planet. And today he's here with us to share his knowledge and his incredible passion. So I know you are going to be as excited as I am to hear him speak. So welcome to the show. I'm super happy to be with you. Oh, wow. This is exciting. It's so exciting. So because I'm just about to have my two-year anniversary and to... Um, my podcast is just growing and doing really well because um, 
because of my wonderful guests like you and Joyce and because of my super listeners, I call them the green future growers because not only are they gardeners, but they're growing a greener future for all of us. So, um, yeah. So welcome to the show and tell uh, listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, okay. Well, I, first of all, I'm, I'm French Canadian. So I, I live in Quebec, Canada and, uh, I have a micro farm with my wife that we've been uh, we've been farming there for almost 15 years, and um, it's a really special farm with regards to the fact that it's 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 kind of big and small. So it's it's a small commercial farm compared to other uh, you know CSA or vegetable production farms. We cultivate about an acre and a half, so that's about the size of a soccer field, um, but by using the techniques and tools that 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 we use, um, we're able to generate enough income for my wife and I to be living from that acre and a half. And we feed more than 250 families. We do a CSA, and we have we go to two farmers market, and we do specialty crops like salad mix for certain restaurants and for the local grocery store in our community. And um, yeah, so the farm has been has been in an operation for a while, and and I guess if I can say it that way, I guess that uh, my my claim to fame is that we've been proving that a farm doesn't need to be big to be very profitable, and that you can use hand tools and low tech gardening strategies to grow commercially and make it happen for yourself all while the community uh, with nourishing food. So I don't know. That's a, that's kind of an intro. I think that's a perfect introduction. So your farm, I don't know how to say it in French, but I'm, I've tried to learn French for years, but um, I really struggle with speaking it at all. But um, yeah. And it's named after the broad fork. Is that right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The broad fork. I, I'm sure your listeners know what the broad fork is. Um, you know, it's a, it's a tool that uh, it, it's a big time that you plunge into the ground and then with the rowing motion, you just kind of loosen up your soil, but you don't disturb the ecology and you don't flip it upside down, which is really what you want to do. And so we call our farm uh, broad fork farm, but actually it's not called the broad fork farm because the broad fork uh, originates in France. There's a guy named André Grenet who invited, who invented it in the early 60s. And so he called it La Grelinette. And our farm is called Les Jardins de La Grelinette, which means uh, the gardens of the Broad Fork. Okay. And I am going to really encourage listeners, um, I put the links in my show notes to go, if they don't know what a Broad Fork is or they haven't seen it, to go to your website and see... Uh, what it looks like. Cause I, people had, I had never heard of it until I started my podcast and people had talked about it. I couldn't really envision it until, um, we had a seed fair last April and somebody brought one in and that's when I was like, Oh, we've got to get one of those. So, um, I think that's really interesting. And then, um, the other thing I was going to tell people also is there's some really cool YouTube videos of your farm. And, uh, I was watching, I just have learned so much just even this morning watching, uh, I was watching Curtis Stone 
do some interviews on your farm and, and walking around. And I love the little insect hotel and the way you wash the mm-hmm. vegetables. And there's just so much that you have to teach people. So I'm going to be quiet. But I do always like to kind of start out the show asking about your very first gardening experience. You know, were you a kid, an adult? Who were you with? What did you grow? Like, did you did your parents garden? Or where did you – where was your first gardening experience? Okay, so I grew up in the suburbs, like a typical teenager, uh, skateboarding, snowboarding. My parents were not hippies. My parents were not farmers. My parents, my father had a small garden. I don't, I don't remember it being some something that was so important. But he did have a garden. Um, my, but my first memory of the garden was in the garage. There was some shelves that had these bottles in them. And these were bottles with, you know, uh, um, bones, and it was, like, extreme danger. And this this was the pesticide cabinet. Oh. And as a young guy, I was was really curious about the pesticide cabinet. And I would look at these bottles and... And, and, you know, I was, that was, that was one of my first memory of the car. <laughs> um, and, and I don't know, funny enough, I grew, I, I grew up to, to, to really understand that this is really nasty stuff. And I, I can't, I can't even imagine why a home gardener would put poison in his garden. Like, I think that it's, this is like when people used to smoke in hospitals and, <laughs> and in airplanes and cars, it's, um, you know. But so, yeah, so that's one of my first memories. And my father used to grow roses. So it wasn't a, in the garden. He would have some tomatoes, but he would also, he would always take care of his roses. And uh, I don't know, perhaps that's why I called my daughter Rose. Aw. I have a daughter whose uh, middle name is Rose, too. Uh, well, you know, I used to wonder that all the time. It's interesting because the first person who mentioned the broad fork, fork, the broad fork on my show um, she worked on a farm and her, the other woman who worked on her farm, I interviewed her father and he was telling me that, um, when they were kids, his, when his dad came home and, and pesticides first came out, everybody was all excited about it. It was like the new technology, like, Oh, you're not going to have to weed anymore. And you know, just the information wasn't out there. So I kind of started to understand a little more that, you know, it was just kind of a, a lack of knowledge, but yeah, it's always like who could, I can't imagine putting pesticides on my food. And I still laugh today when people tell me that they do things like that. Because there's still lots of people out there that just they just don't even know. There's They go to the store and they see it on the shelf and they think, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, sure that if they're, I'm, I'm sure that if they're listening to your podcast, it's because they're, 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 they're frankly quite aware of that. You should be careful about what you eat because when people don't care about what you eat. They only care about how much money they'll make doing it. It is really, really easy to spread a lot of nasty stuff on it and not have anyone know about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, my husband just sent me an article yesterday about um, the pesticides that they're putting on wheat. And like it was like they're putting it on the wheat after they've harvested Right before they're harvesting or something to, um, because it's like gentler on the machinery. It doesn't even have to do with like killing bugs or anything, but something about, I, I can't remember what it was, but 
it's just amazing sometimes the pesticides people are using that and that we're eating that people don't know. And yeah, the people who listen to my podcast probably are, but you know, when you, when you run into people like on an everyday basis, people who don't listen to my podcast, I think I'm still surprised or like, I'll ask people to be a guest on my show. Cause I just assume everybody's organic. And then when they write me back and they're like, well, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not organic or I'm not earth friendly. And I use, you know, all these different things. They're like, why is that bad? And I'll be like, well, you know, there's <laughs> other, there's other options out there. And yeah, you probably shouldn't put that on yeah. your food. So I read in your book I where do. you learned how to garden organically, but do you want to tell listeners? Yeah. Um, I met my wife at the university. We were studying ecology and environment. And basically we were studying how, you know, it's, it's I don't want to say gloom and doom, but we were looking at how all the natural systems are being replaced by you know, the deforestations and all, you know, all these other problems. And, we were, frankly, after three years, we were kind of like, we need to be doing something that is going to help the world. And uh, and I still feel strong about that uh, now, but we were looking for how to do that. And uh, so we took a trip. We went to Mexico. We worked on coffee bean farms or fair trade coffee farms. We looked at that. Then we came up to the U.S. and we... we started to work uh, building earth ships, which are uh, super cool houses, independent houses in the desert of New Mexico, built out of recycled tires, recycled cans, uh, all off the grid. So we worked there for a little while, found that that was interesting too. Then we started to woof, which is the volunteer on a small organic farm in, around Santa Fe, New Mexico. That's where we met with uh, Richard Belanger which was an expat, so he was, it's funny, he, he was a French-Canadian that had been farming and living in Santa Fe for, for a long time, for more than 10 years. And uh, he was uh, the salad king at the Santa Fe farmer's market. Everybody knew who Richard was. He was one of the better growers. And he was a, you know, in my, in my young mind, he was a local hero because people would line up at his booth and paying for his product and... Uh, he was just, he was making, he was making good money at Saturday's farmer's market because we were helping him with his cash box. And he was happy because he was speaking French with us. So we were, we had a special bond. And mm-hmm. then the neighbor uh, at the farmer's market, they had a Montessori school and they had a farm manager that was running uh, a one and a half acre farm uh, there for them. And he left in August and they were kind of stuck. So they asked me and my wife if we wanted to take over the position, and we had like four months of experience, and uh, we said yes. And then that was that was a big learning curve for us, but we dedicated ourselves to making this project better and, and run, and we stayed there for a year and a half. And uh, that's how we got into farming by being immersed in in not only a farm but also a really cool farming community where farmers are revered, uh, where the community makes it a point to go to the farmer's market every Saturday morning. And I just, I just felt that there was an energy there that was so positive and so strong that it convinced me to, to become a, an organic grower myself. And, uh, yeah, that's how we started. Okay. So 
Well, well I, 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 I could go on and say we came back to Quebec and lived in a teepee for two years and then bought a rabbit farm that we converted into a house and, 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 and all of that. And then we bought land that was 10 acres with two acres that could be farmed. And, and that's the story of how our systems came to be because we had limited land and so we had to make do and we found all sorts of ways to optimize our production to make it more productive and um, and then and then eventually I wrote a book about it and then it became a really popular book okay well do you want to tell us more about that yeah sure well more about what um, I don't know maybe some of the things you're doing to optimize or about the different things yeah. in your book or yeah okay well, okay, so when we bought the farm, we had visited farmers in Cuba because we lived in a teepee. We, we made a big mistake early on. We were quite young. We had seen a young couple in New Mexico. They, living, they were living with their kids, farming, uh, and, and living in a teepee on rented land, and we thought that was really romantic. Mm-hmm. And so we came back to Quebec, you know, and uh, we put a teepee on rented land and started to, you know, put a greenhouse and started to have a little market garden there and but you know a teepee in in quebec is you know it's, it's minus 25 this morning where i live so i'm in montana and i actually teach on the blackfoot reservation where there's i mean nobody's actually living in a teepee here but and i stayed in a teepee once and the lady i stayed with actually had it lined with herbs so it was pretty nice but yeah a teepee in quebec i could see in the cold yep so we would take our winters off and one of our winter, we went to Cuba, and then we met a lot of growers there that were farming very differently. Because when the Soviet, Soviet Union fell apart, um, the Cuban people didn't have any access to fossil fuel anymore. So they didn't have fuel to put in tractors, and they didn't have any herbicides, pesticides, fungicides, because these are all petroleum-based products. So they had to reinvent their whole farming for it to be 100% organic. And with vegetable production... They came up with that the system of permanent raised beds that were contoured by cement slabs, and and it was really densely planted and tra- and seeded, and and for us that was very influential because you'd see acres and acres and acres of these permanent raised beds, and it was all farmed without a tractor, and and that was what we were wanting to, you know I've never been excited about tractors and garages and machines and. I like plants. I like I like ecology, and, and I and I like, you know, I like the business side of, of of having a farm. But for me, the tractors were not never, and so we were looking at that. And uh, then we came back to Quebec, and because we had bought such a small piece of land, um, you know, two acres is not is not a lot to run a farm and, and get two salaries from it. We we built permanent beds on almost every square inch of the farm. And we didn't leave space for tractors to turn at the end of the row. So we bluntly decided that we wouldn't have a tractor and that everything would be hand cultivated. But by having the beds being permanent, we don't need to make the beds every year. They're just they're just there. And 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 to make it really simple to understand, most of the gardeners out there use techniques that we kind of scaled up. And, and made a big garden, like a one and a half acre garden. And then we found better tools 
we we bought a walk behind tractor from BCS and power harrows and flail mowers and and rotary plows all all tools that perhaps some of your listeners don't know about uh, wheel hose uh, shuffle hose uh, better cedars cedars that come from Korea all all sorts of tools and equipment that made our life better because we were going faster at doing all these chores and, and, and using black tarps to solarize and, um, and, and, and create seed beds without uh, tilling or plowing, all sorts of strategies. And uh, we just put everything together into a system that eventually made us really efficient and really productive. And that's how we were We've been able to generate, you know, good incomes from from our operation ever since. Awesome. Yep. Uh, I know I hadn't heard of a lot of the things in your book. And so it really helped to watch that video. And that little, is it the cedar that uses like a hand drill or something in there? That's turning. Yeah, uh, there's a couple. There, The tilter is, is powered by a hand drill and that creates bed so it's like a it's like mini 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 rototiller but it only cultivates on an inch and then and it it firms and it levels and it mixes the amendment on your seedbed so it creates perfect perfect built so that you can go with your cedar so that's one tool and another tool is the quick cut harvester which you harvest salad mix with it's also powered by a hand battery drill and and this one it's it's just like a blade it's it's uh, 20 inch wide and it's a little blade that just is actioned by the drill and then you just go and you scoop up your salad mix instead of doing it with scissors or with knives it, it goes about 10 times faster and and you know I like you said I think if your listeners go to my website themarketgardener.com they can see a section with tools and they'll see all sorts of tools that are all hand they're all hand tools and 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 simple but quite sophisticated in in their usage and uh, yeah that's interesting excellent well i i'm like an efficiency expert or i always try to be super efficient so i think uh and i think that's a key like so my listeners know my husband's really the gardener and i almost always have a full-time job so um you know doing anything in the garden that saves time is a, a big thing and i think a lot of my listeners are like that and just any kind of garden um you know you want to be able to be the most productive you can be because it's a lot of work and looking at your farm i was like wow that's really a lot of work i don't think i could ever do that much work my husband probably could maybe he'd have to get some helpers that's definitely over my head but um anyway so i I, just a few words about, about about work i just want to say you know when you're working growing vegetable for your community and and you have recognizance about it and then you have people tell you that when they do their prayers before eating their meal they thank you Aww. you get some such important feedback that you know that hard work is really worth it and uh, it is hard work but I just feel that what we're doing is important and and that's that's the future that we want to see is to have more people growing full you know 
people growing with care by people who care, you know? And, um, yeah, so that's, so hard work is, is good. You're right. That's for sure. Uh, and, and it is a lot of hard work. I mean, I just, I just looking at your farm, I was like, oh my goodness, look at all of that, that they're doing now. So now how big is your, your place now? And have you added animals? Is that what I saw? No, you probably saw pictures of another farm that I started two years ago. And it's, that's a whole other story, but it's a, it's an experimental farm that, that, um, a very wealthy business person is, is helping fund for the province of Quebec. And we're trying to put together all sorts of alternative farming proposition into one place and trying to see if we can recreate farms like they were before, where there was animals, there was vegetables, and most often there was a kitchen also. And to try to see if we can fine-tune all of that to create a template or farms of the futures that would be more organic, more holistic. And uh, it's a pretty, pretty awesome, pretty crazy project. It's called La Ferme des Quatre Tins. And um, yeah, people, if they're interested, they can hook up on my Instagram account and they'll see, they'll see pictures of what's going on there. It's just, it's just, it's just off the chart. Okay. Uh, well, do you want to tell us about something that grew well this year, then? Uh, yeah. Um, hmm. What did grow well? I was excited about my beets this year because I was transplanting them. And um, I, w- I had a program where every two weeks I would transplant new beets. And I would uh, have three different colors three different beets, boom, and then I would mix all my seeds together, and then I would do start my seed trays, and then we would go out and transplant these beets, and we would get really nice, round beets, for sure, guaranteed, and we did that for 25 weeks, and it was awesome, and um, it's funny how beets are they're making a comeback. I don't know if it's because everybody used to eat them from cans, but... They're sweet and they're flavorful, and in many instances, you don't even need to cook them. They're so tender and 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 beautiful and colorful, and I think they make us happy. So uh, that was one of the props that I was uh, I was glad about. So transplanting beets, so you're not direct seeding them. Yeah. So you're starting them in flats and then putting them in the ground. Yeah, huh? That's interesting. In, yeah, we, in one twenty-eight in this at one twenty-eight seed trays. The reason why we do this is because, you know, when you direct seed, sometimes you don't get full germination in the field, mm-hmm. and then it creates holes. And, and so I wanted to have, like, perfect densities. And also, we do a lot of successions in, in on the farm. So we have one crop that is followed by the other, that is followed by the other. Mm-hmm. And even in our northern climate, we'll have up to three crops per bed per year. And so, you know, something's going to be growing in the field. Let's say I have salads that are there. Mm-hmm. And then I'll be harvesting the salad. Boom, boom, boom. And then the next day, I'm planting baby beets. 
And so that three weeks that the beats had to be inside the uh, the nursery, it's like three weeks that I gain in my season. Oh. So that's why I do that. Yeah. Uh, okay. How about, is there something you're excited to do different next year or that you're going to try that's new? Um, hmm. I'm going to try, yeah, I'm going to try a technique that perhaps your listeners will, will know about or appreciate. I'm going to try to set up my carrots so that I never weed them. And how's that going to work? Uh, okay, so you prepare your bed and um, you. I'm going to brock fork the beds, making sure that there's deep, loose soil in about 10 inch. That's, and that's what the brock fork will do. And then I'm going to put my organic amendment compost and, and blood meal or whatever. And then I'm going to use filter or uh, a power harrow on my BCS or a, a wheel hoe to incorporate all of that. Uh, but, but what I'm going to do is that I'm going to leave one inch of compost on the top. And I'm not going to mix it into the soil. So all of my bed will be covered by one inch of compost and the compost that we use on the farm is compost that we buy from compost geeks that have big machines, turners. You know, it, it could come from a municipal municipality. And it's compost that doesn't have any weed seeds because it was well composted and it was brought to the right temperatures and it was turned at the right time. And so it doesn't have any weed seeds. And so by putting one inch layer, and then I'm going to seed over that. I'm guaranteed almost that I won't have any weeds coming up from the ground because there's a layer. There's a there's an organic mulch, which is the compost, that is providing a layer. And the trick to get that to work is to make sure that you're watering at least three times a day, 10, 15 minutes, making sure that your bed always stays moist. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's the trick that I'm going to work on this year. Wow, I love that. And I wonder if listeners' are, heads are spinning like mine is thinking, maybe there could be a business making compost because if you're buying compost, and that's like one thing we struggle with here in Montana. And there is a guy I just talked to in like Michigan or Minnesota, I can't remember, and he said they have like an abundance of soil and compost and mulch and things. Um, but like where we are, that's always one of our toughest things is to find good soil and find compost. I go crazy cause I'm a teacher and here at the school, they throw so much food in the garbage and I just want to be like, you're just throwing that money away. I'm working on trying to figure out how to get that cafeteria to start saving all that food. But, um, cool. Well, people are going to like that idea. Weed free carrots. Yeah. Uh, and then. Would I, that... have a lot, I have a lot of these tricks, by the way. Yeah, one of the things I read about was um, that the like when you plant things close enough together, the greens kind of make like a canopy, and that helps prevent weeds. Yeah, that's the bi biointensive techniques that we we're using. Um, it's simple, like by spacing everything closer together. Uh, what happens is that eventually the leaves will touch one another and that creates a canopy and the canopy shades out uh, the sunlight 
and so it weeds don't don't grow, and then it also retains the moisture. This is really good for all of the biological life that's inside the soil. And uh, if you pay attention to soil structure, um, and i.e., if you don't plow or don't rotor till, and you create soil that has real good natural tilth and depth, you can have these crops being really close to one another but have their rooting systems really shoot down. And, and so that's the key. To get a good canopy, it, it, there's all, all sorts of benefits to that. But you need to take good care of, of, provide, of having a good, good soil structure. And that's one reason why on our farm we don't use a rotor tiller. Because when you use a rotor tiller, you assume that you're creating perfect conditions because, you know, you have full tilt and the soil is really loose and you can stick your whole hand into it. And especially men. Men really like to till and it's just, <laughs> they, have, they have this impression that it's, you know, things are happening. We're producing good ground. But what happens is that all of the agglomerates, all of how your soil is structured and bound together, you pulverize these agglomerates into finer particles because of the tilling. It's like putting something in a blender, you know. Mm -hmm. So at first glance, everything's loose. If you come back a week or two later, you see that your soil starts to compress because there's nothing holding it together anymore. Okay. And so if you do this once a year, it's not such a big issue. But if you're if you're gardening for, for profit and you're using your rotor tiller two, four, five, six, seven times in a year, you're destroying your soil structure every time. And you're not allowing the natural process of having earthworms and, and spiders and critters do the work for you because you're destroying their habitat every time. And so we've we've moved away from using the tiller and we've adopted all sorts of different tools that allow her to cultivate the surface of the ground, like the first inch, and tools like the broad fork, which allow us to go deeper, but without disturbing the ecology, without being a problem for the earthworms. Actually, earthworms are the best teachers. Follow the path of the earthworm, and you'll be successful. <laughs> That's how I see it. I like that. All right, so the question that just keeps going over in my head, though, if your plants are two together, is it not going to stunt their growth? Like, are they still going to grow the right? They must because you're doing it. But I don't know why that question just keeps going. All right. Going so over. the answer to that question is has to do with soil structure, because if you have soil that has layers or hard pans or whatever, the root system is always the root system of a crop will always be looking for the path of the least resistance. And so as soon as it hits something that is hard going down, it's going to go sideways. And so if you are ganging all your crops together really close and you don't have really deep, loose soil, then you'll have crops that will compete with one another for nutrients and for water. And so the trick is really to make sure that your soil is really loose and, and deep. And that's why the broad fork is such an important tool when we're talking about biologically intensive systems. And, and that's 
why you can't be relying only on the rotor tiller for such a thing. Okay. And that broad fork. Make sense? It does. It does make sense. It makes a lot of sense to me, especially because, like, my husband and I met planting trees on the Forest Service, and like, people probably don't know, but there's like inspectors that go around. Like, our crew had our own inspector, and then the Forest Service would have an inspector, and they would actually go dig up your trees. And if they found too many, um, they called them J roots, where the roots were bending. Yeah, I remember that. You had to re. We you would have to go back and replant the unit, and so. Um, you never wanted to do I, that. I, so that I, was like trying to get those hodads down in the ground sometimes and the rocky soil was hard. When I when I was uh, at, at university, I was I would raise my money tree planting in, in British Columbia. So G roots, I knew about that. The checkers would come and say, Oh no, <laughs> you're not getting paid for that block and I was like, Oh boy. <laughs> I think the only reason they let me stay, I never was able to make quota. I couldn't plant a lot of trees, but at least I never had any J roots because I would make sure at least my holes were deep. My husband, on the other hand, his nickname was seldom seen because he was like one of the fastest planters on the crew. But I think he planted probably pretty good trees too. I don't know. Um, Okay, so do you want to tell us about something that maybe didn't work so well this season that what didn't come out maybe the way you wanted? Mm Mm-hmm. One thing that didn't work as well as I wanted was uh, we were doing potatoes, which I've never really done before. Oh. Uh, in my 15 years of growing crops, I've never really focused on potatoes because it's hard for me to get a better price than another bigger conventional grower at farmer's market when I bring my potatoes because they all look alike. You know, <laughs> and and my neighbor has a mechanical transplanter, a mechanical harvester, a brushing machine, and he's so much more efficient than me at growing potatoes that I've just kind of like decided that I wouldn't grow it. But this year I tried it. Okay. And I, so I, I I I dug a big furrow, and then I, I sprouted my potatoes, and then I put the potatoes in the furrow. And then I closed the furrow, and then I put straw over it. And I was expecting big things, and I got a pretty small harvest of potatoes that were good, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't nothing spectacular. And so now I need to research what should I do to make sure that when I put potatoes in the ground, I only get, I, I not only get like abundance of potatoes. I get potatoes that are like super healthy and, and incredible. I need to learn how to do that. Okay. Before we get to the root of things, we're going to thank our sponsors and affiliate links. Laying the foundation, unlike a mixed border or showy flower bed that functions to provide a pretty and perfect display, a cutting garden's primary job is to produce a bounty of cup blooms all season long. While a cutting patch is beautiful in its own right, The flowers that fill there are to be harvested, not left on the plants for garden decoration. This can take some getting used to because as gardeners, we've been conditioned to resist the urge to clip from our blooming plants and instead leave them to put on a show outdoors. But once you experience the pleasure of harvesting armloads of flowers right outside your door, your approach to growing them will quickly change. This is the introduction to Aaron Bazinkian's Floret Farms Cut Flower Garden book, 
grow, harvest, and arrange stunning seasonal blooms. And you can get this or any other book that's been recommended on our show by going to theorganicgardenerpodcast.com, just www.organicgardenerpodcast.com, click on the recommended books, and not only will it take you to, you can pick out any of the books that have been recommended, but they'll all link to Amazon, and we will get just a tiny little something, but it sure would help support the show. Hey, green future growers. Do you love to listen to audio as much as I do? Have you ever tried an audiobook? As a fan of this podcast, you must already enjoy listening to stories just like I do. Well, the Organic Gardener podcast has teamed up with Audible to offer you a free audiobook. Just go to www.organicgardenerpodcast.com forward slash book or just type book into the search bar at theorganicgardenerpodcast.com and you can get enter to get listening to your first audiobook today. Now let's get to the root of things. Okay, so this is the part where I'll ask you if you're, we're going to get to the root of things. It's kind of like my version of a lightning round where they're just quicker questions and just, um, so do you have a least favorite activity? Is there something you have to force yourself to get out there and do? In the garden? Yeah. Um, well, it doesn't have to be the garden, maybe in the business part of it. Oh, I hate accounting. I all the admin stuff, all the all the paperwork, especially from government when they ask me to fill this form and that form and all everything that doesn't generate revenues or production, I hate. Like when they ask me to talk about what we did and blah blah blah, and I'm like, oh no no no, I, I'm 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 doing something now and tomorrow and after so. Like, I know some people really like sitting down and doing the accounting, all of that. Um, I don't particularly like that. And I'm not a big fan of, of getting back with emails also. I have too much of them now. So I like oh, to I be bet. outside. And and I like to be not bothered. Like, when I can be not bothered for, like, two or three hours, I love that. It's like, Wow. The price of fame. Okay, so on the flip side, what's your favorite activity to do? I really like cultivating with the hose in the garden. And uh, I really like setting out the plants and, and preparing the seed beds, all neat and all good. And I also like to go to farmer's market. And uh, I, meet, I meet people. They're excited. I'm proud of what I'm bringing. There's a good energy. I talk to everyone. It's it's also a high, high demand, high energy day because we have so many customers and, you know, we're counting cash, we're telling stories, we're putting uh, veggies in a box. It's very dynamic. And, uh, and then it just, it just feels good because like, that's how, that's when I feel that we're changing the system because we're actually converting everything that we've been doing in the week into something that's going people's house. And so I like that part a lot. Nice. That's good to hear because for me, that's always been a challenge. And maybe that's because, you know, we haven't had much to take to market, but that like, you know, the sales part always makes me nervous. So, and we're still like my husband and I, we're very, very new. Like we haven't really started to try to sell anything yet. So, uh, good to know. How about what's the yeah, best? Well, it's, 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 oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. 
I was just about to say, you know, you should you should you should read the the Market Gardener and or I don't want to be just plugging myself, but it's really cool because there's a buddy of mine that made an audio version of the book. So now you can be cultivating in your garden and, and you know put a with your iPhone listen to whatever how I do beets and how I do carrots and how I do stuff and then just because well, there's one thing I've learned is like it's hard work to be a market gardener but it's it's all about how you're doing it like there's always better ways to optimize and step it's like when you're a tree planter and I don't know if you remember that but there's there were people that were planting a lot more trees in the same amount of time in the same landscape and they were just more efficient at it and so that's really what I've been working on find all those tricks tools techniques that allow us to, to to make a good go at this I was totally inspired by your book I read it like um I read it when I bought it and then I've been studying it all week and I was I've been thinking of like because the my challenge episode has been one of my biggest, most downloaded episodes, but then I didn't have very many people sign up for my challenge my first year. And I've been trying to figure out what would be a good challenge for 2017. And I was thinking maybe just going to the farmer's market each week and just like showing up there, no matter what we have and just talking to people. Uh, and just, I was, I was really inspired by your book. Super cool. So yeah, you, why not? You know, why not? Even if you make a hundred dollars, hundred dollars whatever it doesn't matter uh especially if your husband has a good job then <laughs> then you know it's just why not if and uh, yeah i think we should have more people i i keep saying this we need to replace mass production with production by the masses and so it needs to happen yeah uh so what's the best gardening advice you've ever received uh, hmm. I think one of the best one was to read Elliot Coleman's The New Organic Grower when I was starting out. Um, famous, you know, I, 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 I assume that most of your listeners know who Elliot is. Uh, the book, the, Mar- the New Organic Grower, was the first gardening uh, farming book that I read. And I probably read it 50 times when I was young because I was really trying to figure out how to do this. And it's been a real inspiration for me, and it's it's it probably laid out pretty much everything that I've been doing because I've been following in Elliot's footsteps, and and because because I just believe that when you want to be successful at something, you need to follow people that are doing it successfully, and so I would I would say that reading the New Organic Grower was I remember I I remember the person that told me about it that was like. 17 years ago he said yeah his name was Norbert he was a German guy and he was he was a handyman he was going from farm to farm fixing stuff for people for free in exchange for room and board and uh, he said read the new organic grower that's the book read and like okay and then I bought the book and it just kind of changed my life and now you're changing all of our lives with your book. And you should be proud to promote your book. You can say it over and over on my podcast all you want. Because I totally encourage people to read it. It was like one of the first books I bought, like, you know, because I'm going to ask you if you have a book to recommend. And, like, you know, I ask all my listeners. And it was, you know, so I don't, I certainly can't afford to buy all of them. But it was one of the first ones. And my husband just poured right through it. <laughs> 
And that's always a good sign when he does that and um, has been trying to implement. Our big thing was like we just dug a well two years ago. Up until then, we had very, very limited water. Like for the first six years of our life, we had to haul water. We had no running water in our house. And um, and then he would just garden. Um, and then we dug a shallow well. And then two years ago, we finally dug a real well. So that's part of why we haven't really tried to sell anything. And then a couple of years ago, I tried, like, I want to be the flower farmer. Like, I see that you recommend Lynn Bazinski's book, which I'm going to have to get her market farmer book. I have her flower farmer book. And uh, I tried to grow sunflowers, and I thought growing 750 sunflowers was, like, this huge thing. And then by the end of the summer, I realized I would have to grow, like, 750 sunflowers a week for a long time to make enough flowers to grow, to go to market. And then I think I pretty much decided yeah. I'm just going to try to grow them for bird seed. And what I really want to do is just paint the flowers. <laughs> but um, yeah. anyway, uh, so what's your favorite tool? Do you have a, like, if you had to move and can only take one tool with you, what could you not live without? If you had to start all over, what's the one tool you would take with you? Your broad fork? Well, yeah, I think the broad fork is definitely a tool that I really like. Um, I also like the the hose all the all the shoveling hose i really like them the wheel hole i like um yeah i i kind of like you know i did a dvd called the, the market gardener's toolbox oh and toolkit and yeah it's a, it's a you, you guys should check it out it's we filmed two hours of all the tools that i use how to use them and uh, i just can i say that i, I like the, the the toolbox in totality like, I like having all of them. Okay. <laughs> Prove it. Um, and I like in your book how you talk about, it's, you know, you talk about, like, some of the tools, it's better to invest in a high-quality tool. Other tools, it's not as big of a deal if you buy a used one to keep your costs low. And you talk about the ones that would be good to, like, if you're starting out, you want to definitely try to get, um, you know, you talk about which tools it's better to start out with right away. You don't want to waste too much time. We, you know, am I, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Hey, you talked to me about books and flowers and, uh, I would recommend one book that is coming out in March and, okay. uh, Flor Florets Farms Cut Flower Garden. Um, the woman's name is Erin Benzakin. Mm-hmm. She runs the Florette Flowers mm -hmm. uh, Farm. Mm -hmm. uh, that's going to be a game changer with regards to cut flower. It's it's a really awesome book. I've read it because I've they've asked me to write a blurb about it. Oh, and I've learned so much in that little book, and it's a beautiful book. And Erin's website is awesome, and she, she's an, she's an awesome awesome flower grower. And uh, your listeners should check her out. Excellent. Yep, she's been recommended, yep. and fingers crossed, she's going to do an interview with me. I spoke with her assistant or secretary, and she hasn't set down a date for sure, but she wanted to have a date close to the book. I think she said it's coming out March 7th, uh, if I remember yeah. right. So, well, when, you do, when you do talk to her, tell her tell her I say hi, and I highly recommend her work. I think it's, it's an awesome book. Okay. I will. Yeah, I'm super excited. I had a guest, um, Julio Flort, Flort, I can't remember how to say his name, but he's close to me down in Bozeman, and he's a flower farmer, and he went to one of her workshops last 
year and just he raved about her. And I have a friend who actually sold them some aprons is where I very first heard about Florette's Farm. So I've been following their blog for a while now. Yep. Excellent recommendation. I'll tell her she'll be so excited. Uh, no, did you add, did you recently add flowers to your CSA? Did I see that on your website? Well, no, yes and no. I'm kind of playing around with it, but, uh, I have a friend, her name is, is Chloe and then, uh, she, she, she's now a flower farmer and I look at everything that she's doing and I, I understand that there's a next level and before I commit to that, I need to make more time to really learn how to do it well because I don't like doing things half house and mm-hmm. so I'm I'm going to wait on that till I have more time to really plunge into that and learn how to do it well. Okay, that's great advice um, for people, yeah. I think, to think about, you know, sh- focusing on what, it's interesting because the guy who runs my podcast, he, you've said a lot of things he says, like he has this acronym for focus, follow one course until success before you move on to something else. Oh. Stay, you know, niche down, stay Beautiful. in what you're doing. And then the other thing he always talks about is finding a mentor, find somebody else who's successful, um, and go speak to them. Like you were talking about Elliot Coleman and his book and, and looking. So, uh, how about a favorite recipe from the garden? What's your favorite thing to eat from your garden? Oh, well, you know, it's simple. We, I, I eat about a pound of salad mix a day. Like, I don't know if I'm a cow or something like that, but I do. (laughs) Like I eat a pound of salad mix a day and, uh, I love it, and I love salad greens. Like, I just love them. I like growing them. I like eating them. I like looking at them. I like selling them. Um, I'm a big passionate about mescaline and mescaline mixes and all of that. And uh, and, and in some restaurants, when, I, when I'm traveling, sometimes it's not always good eateries where I am, unfortunately. Sometimes I'll order something, and I'll specifically say, without any vegetables, please. Like, serve me anything else than vegetables. Because I'm so disappointed in many instances. Because I eat, like, the best veggies in the world. It's fresh and harvested and juicy and good. And when I'm served veggies that are not like that, I'm kind of a snob now. I'm a snob with veggies. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's a good thing to be. Uh, one of my goals, I went to Paris last February for the first time ever. It was so exciting. And... um I just love their arugula salad and they had like the little mini <laughs> arugula and they served like the first meal I got the first day I was there. Like you can't check into your room, you know, till the late afternoon. So I just had to take off right out of the plane and go walk around. And, um, so I went and they, and I ordered breakfast and it was so weird to get eggs with arugula salad, but it was so delicious. And I think I grew some more arugula last summer, but that's going to be one of the things I'm going to focus on this summer too. Uh, I love salad too. I always tell people I think I'm a, a rabbit in a past life or something. I'm part rabbit. Arugula, good, good trick for arugula. Oh, there cool. is a tool that is that's Johnny's Selected Seeds, the, uh-huh. the good, super good seed company from Maine. Mm-hmm. They sell a tool. It's a seeder, and that seeder is called a four-row pinpoint seeder. And it's a great tool to seed arugula because arugula is a really tiny seed and you want to have your rows really close to one another. 
And then you can use the same technique that I talked about, laying out compost that doesn't have any weed seeds, laying an inch of that, and then having, you know, we farm on, we grow on 30-inch bed systems, and you can have up to 12 rows on 30-inch of that arugula. And because you're, you're planting on compost that doesn't have any weed seeds, then you won't have any weeds, and you'll have, you'll have plenty of it. Okay. Suggestion. Suggestions. Excellent. Uh, well, I'll take all the suggestions I can get. I'm not sure we're ready to get into such a uh, big bet. Like for me, like last year, I planted a tub of arugula, like just a small round tub. But um, but I'm sure other listeners who are bigger, um, you know, growing for, uh, you know, a bigger. I was thinking after I read your book, like my husband and I, we should just focus. Like you said, your first year, you guys were determined to do 30 CSA shares? Like, I think if my husband and I just focus yep. on trying to do four CSA shares would be big for us. Like, his goal has <laughs> always been to just grow enough food for the two of us. And just so we don't have to yeah. buy any produce or really, like, supplement our produce. So we'll see what happens. And he actually, that's going to be his job this year is his full job. I'm the one that goes to gets the regular paycheck. And he's going to focus on ah. growing the garden. So if he grows it, I think I'll commit to going to market. My other thing is, like, I had a somebody who suggested, um, talked about what makes a good CSA, you know, qualifications for somebody, like, to join a CSA. And I was like, I don't know if I'd be – I don't think I'd be a good CSA person because I don't like to do anything on a regular basis and that, that's what going to be one of my hard things, especially because I teach full time. And so summer's like my time off and to like yep. have to commit to being somewhere the same time every single week. But I hear you. I'm going to try it. Uh, how about a favorite Internet resource? And you can certainly say your website. Uh, hmm, that's a good question. Uh, I think Internet is kind of awesome in a way and in another way because there's a lot of people out there giving a lot of opinion on a lot of stuff that they don't know about and it's it's i think it's easy sometimes to get uh lost so to get good references so i like your question a lot uh hmm hmm that is i don't know what to answer you i've been kind of not disconnected but uh, there, well, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, I've started a, there's a group, there's a Facebook group called Successful Market Gardening. And I think there's around 700 people on that group. And, uh, that's been interesting because when I go, I see people posting pictures of what they're doing, asking questions. And since there's, since there's a lot of people in the group, there's a lot of feedback and there's a lot of different perspectives on how to do things. So obviously, you know, I, I'm interested in, 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 in farming and, and gardening and organic stuff uh, when I go on the web. But, uh, yeah, I think that's one, one site, uh, Facebook group, the Market uh, Gardening Success Group. Nice. I, I love Facebook, and I love Facebook groups. I think that's a, a wonderful answer. Um, and, you know, the nice thing, like you said, about it is you can get direct feedback Uh and that's how I yeah. met Julio that I was telling you about before that went to the florets thing. Because um, it's just nice to see what other people are doing and it's inspiring. And if you have a question. And there's another website you might like. Um, there's what, like an insect identification site. Oh, I mean, you know what you said in your book? 
was you're getting an email from somebody that warns you about like an insects that are like in your area? Yeah, that is that is super cool, and that's the the, the extension agents, and they have all sorts of scouters that are out there reporting on where the insects are at, different places, different regions, and then they set out an email. And what's cool about that, in that email, they also give you solutions about how to tackle problems organically. And uh, wow, that's a pretty positive thing. That, But that's in French, and that's in that's for growers in Quebec. So um, you, I'm sure you, you guys should find something like that in Montana. Yeah, and if not, maybe people will think about starting something like that. Yeah. Uh, okay. How about a favorite book? Is it the Elliot Coleman book, or do you have a different book that you want to recommend? Or <laughs> I think I would recommend the Market Garden. I think it's excellent. Pretty good. It's- and uh, if anything, I've I've been reading kind of other stuff. Uh, there's one book out there also. It's uh, there's this guy called Ben Hartman. He wrote a book called um, The Lean Farm. Oh. And he describes all the steps on his farm. But what's interesting is that he was influenced by uh, lean management uh, strategies, which comes from Japan. And uh, it's just about looking at the motions of everything that you do and trying to shortcut to, to make things to optimize. And uh, it's really interesting in the context of a small organic farm to look at it, all the processes like that. So Ben Hartman's book is probably the one that I uh, enjoyed the most. And my favorite author, my favorite author is Joel Salatin. Oh, excellent. You you know who Joel Salatin is. Yeah. Uh Joel Salatin is one of my heroes. Uh, I've met him many times, and I read his books, and I just love how he writes, giving lots of good technical insights, but it's in his voices. I can, when, he, when I read his book, I can, I can, I can hear him. And uh, he gives all sorts of nice anecdotes, and uh, I just... I just love his style, and uh, he wrote a new book about pigs and and Christian. Uh, he, he's a, he's a Christian, mm-hmm. and he he talks about the pigness of pigs, and how Christians should have morality around how to raise animals, and uh, just is just an awesome perspective on all of that. No, so so Joel South. Awesome. All right. Cool. I'm glad I asked. Uh, okay. So I do kind of ask a question. I mean, I know we've talked a lot, but like, since you have a business, do you have any advice for listeners, like on how to like sell extra produce or get started in the industry if they've never started before? I think the trick is to work at least one year on a small organic farm. Nice. And to know if you're cut out for it, if you can handle the big days, if you like it, you know. Some people like it in their mind, but when it's time to be, because being a being a farmer, being a market gardener is also about committing to long days of just doing it. You know, you can't just 
put it off and say, well, it's going to happen by itself. Everything that we sell, we need to grow, and everything that we grow, we need to plant, and everything that we plant, we need to water. And there's just there's no there's no automation. And so, yeah, that's that's an advice is to work one full year on a on a small organic farm, and then to start your own little project with five, ten members, CSA, fifteen, and then evolve from there because. The first few years, you, you obviously make a lot of mistakes, and that's, that, those mistakes are important because you need to learn from them. You need to make them, and the sooner the better because that's how you become a better grower. And So I think you start on somebody else's farm and then start a little project, you make mistakes, and eventually after a couple of years, you, you have a good idea of how you want to do things, and then you set it up really nice, and then you, and then you, you, you thrive for a long time. Nice. So in your book, you said um, something about like uh, interns are good and having people who come and volunteer is good, but you would prefer a trained person. Do you want to speak about that at all? Yeah, well, we, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, I, it's might be personal, but I, over the years, I've had about a hundred people come at my farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had awesome, amazing beautiful people i've had people that are not so awesome and not so well they might be beautiful but not so you know pleasant and um and you've probably also had people like me who have to be taught everything because it said something about like things that might seem obvious to you are not so obvious to me i could totally see me making the mistakes you know, that somebody else might be like, what are you doing? And like pulling it. My husband even laughed at me last year. It wasn't last year, but the year before he had planted me all these echinaceas. And when I went to weed the bed, he's like, you pulled up all the echinaceas. Well, that's the kind of thing that happens when you have people that are not. And, and, and to be honest, it's like, if I have somebody that doesn't know anything, the time it takes me to teach two people like I could do the work probably of four people during that time. Mm-hmm. And so it's not really helping me out. Like what helps me is when I don't need to be doing it. That helps me. And so now what I'm doing is I'm taking people on. I'm showing them how to do everything. I'm giving them a lot of leeway for them to kind of experiment and, and then feel, the, feel how to do things. And then I, I circle back all the time, making sure that it's done how I want it and that they understand. And then when that's pretty well done, I give more leeway and then I circle back every week and then every month and then every year. Because <laughs> I, I, I now have a lot of people who, who want to stay longer on the, on the farm. That's a positive thing. Yeah, I bet. And then do you have people that just come visit to just check it out like i was thinking i'm gonna tell my mom let's go visit this place every day there's somebody pulling up on the farm (laughs) i don't want to say it's annoying but it kind of is yeah uh these are all super happy people that are that have been touched by my work and i appreciate the fact that they come down to tell me um but you know sometimes we're eating dinner and there's people in the in the windows and they're like oh "Oh, this is them (laughs) Okay, so I would say we are probably going to have open days, and uh, you should, uh, if people are interested, they should come on the open days. Excellent. 
Okay, ready for my final question? It's kind of a doozy. Shoot. If there's one change you would like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? I think we need to have, well, I think we have a broken food system that creates environmental disasters everywhere it's going and um, create food that is not traditional anymore. And I think we need to replace that by hordes of, of young people starting farms. And so my, that's my cause. And if, if some of your listeners want to support that, there's many ways. Go to the farmer's market um, and help young people get starting in farming because it's hard for them because the economics don't work for, for young farmers. It's hard to acquire land because it's super expensive, and yet people are used to not paying a lot for what they eat. And so it creates this imbalance. And so, yeah, but the young farmer coalitions that are out there, they have all my support, and uh, hope some of your listeners will, will join in that. And that changes that, that the change that we're trying to see happen is, is really a big, big change. And what, what's that quote on your website again? You said it before, but uh, about the masses. Yeah, I, I, yeah, re- replacing mass production with production by the masses and providing good quality of life to people that are living on the farm and um, being outside, working with ecology on a daily basis, providing nutritional value, um, food, like I said to you, food made with care by people who care and and that's really what we need to see happen beautiful uh all right so do you want to tell us like you're on a tour right now like you told did you tell me you're in missouri and i think i saw you're actually going to joyce pinson in kentucky and do you want to tell people a little bit about where they could actually hear you in person Mm-hmm. There's a, if they go on my website, they'll see a link to all the places that I'm talking. I'm not giving that many talks because I've, I did it a lot, and I have two young uh, kids, and I want to spend as much time with them as possible. But I'll be in Missouri this weekend in uh, St. Joseph at the Great, Great Plains Growers Conference, and then I'm going to New Jersey on the East Coast, and then I'm coming back in Kentucky later in April. And are you going to Italy? I'm I'm also going to Italy, and uh, that's fun. People want to come and hear me out in Italy. I heard that they have great pastas and pizza there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm thinking there's a guy from Montana who might be there. I don't know, but he grows um, this camu wheat. It's like an ancient organic wheat, this guy Bob Quinn, and I know he told me that he goes – to Italy every year to a conference. So I'm curious if that's the conference he goes to. So I uh, would also love, love, I would love to be invited to go to Montana. Oh, really? Okay. I'll work on that. Cause you know, I'm right on like the edge of Glacier National Park. So I'd love to go to Montana. Aww. All right. Well, we'll, we'll get you here. We're having a big seed thing in April. 
Last year, we were expecting 350 people and 1,500 people showed up. 500 people showed up, were like through the door before it even opened because we had 500 flyers and they were all gone. And it started at 10 o'clock and they were all gone by 10 o'clock. It was just super just filled. So, all right, we'll work on getting you. And the other place you might like to go to is the Aero Conference in October. I don't know. We'll have to, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to some people and see what we can do because we would love to have you come here. I know that. Uh, okay, just do you hey. want to tell people your website one more time, how they can find you? And... Yeah. Um, they can find me on themarketgardener.com. And, um, yeah, from there, there's all sorts of different things that they might be interested in. And, uh, again, I'm just inviting all the home gardeners to be happy, and I think it's super cool to be growing food. And if they if they don't have enough in their garden, I hope that they can go out and support some local growers out there that are trying to, to make it happen for themselves and for their community. So, yeah, thank, that's it. Thank you so, so much for sharing with us today. And just um, we all appreciate what you're doing and how you're changing our world and just changing our future. And you're just an awesome guy. You and your wife, because I know she works super hard with you. Hey, I appreciate it a lot. And, uh, I need to head out. This, is, yep. this has been going super fast. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> why did we create the Organic Oasis Guidebook? And why are we creating the Organic Oasis Masterclass with the amazing Patty Armbruster? When you get membership to her fan club and a weekly Q&A, not a weekly, a monthly Q&A with her So it's because we want to help you live in the most earth-friendly, healthiest environment you can. So it's good for you. It's good for Mother Earth. Whether you grow vegetables or not, we will help you. You know, gardening can be a lot of work, but it can also, you can live in a beautiful landscape and that will help your neighborhood or local farmer or gardener, you know, their farm produce more food because you're inviting bees into your neighborhood with a pollinator border that's so pretty and you can pick bouquets of flowers you can just enjoy them and just it's a beautiful place by your home whether you want to grow food or vegetables that's why we call it the organic oasis and we've been working on building our organic oasis for well mike and i've been married 27 years so we have been working on it very 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 slowly so we know how it goes and we've struggled with water we've and then i've interviewed over 300 people on the organic gardener podcast so I just know that um, I have gone from brown thumb to green thumb. So, you know, whatever your idea of an organic oasis is, whether you want a bee sanctuary or um, an earth-friendly landscape or you want to grow more vegetables, um, I've got the experts, Mike and Patty and all the guests that I've talked to to help you succeed and be able to eat healthy food and feed your kids healthy food and you know, um, just have access, you know, uh, fruits are some of the coolest things to grow. A raspberry patch keeps producing. You can get luscious blueberries and those are the kind of things that maybe need a little watering, a little bit. They're very low maintenance. One of my amazing guests was Tara who wrote the book on growing fruit trees in the Pacific Northwest. And she talks about it because she wanted low maintenance because she was gardening at her mom's house. So all sorts of great tips for you on how to create your own earth-friendly organic oasis. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? 
If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local. Grow local.